Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian. I'm the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and educator, and my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, and other listeners with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics, while some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation, and other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of being a teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, just visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, founder of Bare Bones Yoga, and this is episode 23. So first of all, thank you so much for listening and taking time out of your busy schedule to carve out a little space for this podcast in your week. I love hearing from you and reading your comments about the podcast on social media, as well as reading your emails. I took a look today at iTunes and I saw a new review from me, 1840, who really liked the cues episode and wrote really helpful info. So I wanna say thank you, me, <laughs> for listening. If, um, by the way, if you miss the episodes that she uh, or he, the person is referring to, uh, they are episodes 17, 18, and 19. And you can get them uh, right on my website, barebonesyoga.com. Right on the homepage, you will see a link to the podcast. And you can look up episodes 17, 18, and 19. Those episodes were all about cues for different poses and got a lot, a lot of downloads. People really seemed to enjoy those and thought they were helpful. I also want to start out by sharing a little bit about one of my mini online courses. You know, learning online has exploded as a portable affordable and effective way of learning uh, for yoga teaching. And while we need in-person training, there is quite a bit we can learn online. I exclusively focus my online courses for yoga teachers on anatomy because it's such a tough subject to learn and so many teachers miss out on anatomy when they take their 200-hour training. They're, they're overwhelmed with all the learning and sometimes all the different components that are shared around anatomy, you know, they're just missed or they're not absorbed. Now, I've got this one mini course that you can pretty much complete in less than two hours, and it focuses on moving from high to low push up. And I picked this particular topic because understanding the anatomy behind this movement is really critical to giving good cues. You can't just teach this 
movement we do in yoga classes so much without understanding what's happening under the skin. Matter of fact, just the other day, a student said to me, why does everybody cue to wrap the elbows in in low push-up? So I'm not gonna answer that question for you. I'm going to suggest that you get my course. And honestly, if you're unsure as to why, that's a perfect illustration of the gap between just saying cues and saying cues and really understanding the anatomy behind them. And I promise you, the more you know about anatomy, the better your cues will be, the better you'll be able to answer questions and the more confidence you'll have. So this course is called High to Low Push-Up Mini Course and you can get it for only $45 right on my website. So you just click the link to check them out under the online courses banner on the homepage. So today I wanna to cover a topic that really is the foundation for all that I talk about when I teach anatomy. And that is how the heck do we break this topic up into easy to manage sections? It is so broad and so big of a subject that it's really easy to be overwhelmed. When I teach anatomy to teachers, I ask them what kinds of things they feel when they hear they're going to an anatomy training. And I hear words like fear, nervousness, and anxiety. And it's pretty amazing when you think about it that a subject matter can render this kind of emotional response, but it's true. It's wrapped up in our need to know, our acknowledgement that in order to be effective as a teacher, we've gotta know this subject, but you know, this acknowledgement that we really don't know how to tackle it. And even worse, when we take a 200 hour training, we expect to come out of it ready to go with all the questions answered. But for many of us, we had more questions when we were done than when we started. So today I'm going to share with you a template, a system, a blueprint to learning anatomy. But first I wanna start out with an analogy um, that might help you understand what you're about to hear. So I want you to think of something you've learned from scratch. Maybe it was playing an instrument as a kid. Maybe it was learning how to train for a marathon or how to play golf. Maybe it was accounting. I don't know, who knows, whatever it was, could you sit back now based on what you know and break up the learning into 10 steps? That's what we're going to do today. Another good example of this is to think about what you do when you're following a recipe. You know, I don't know about your social media posts, but I love to follow food bloggers and especially those that focus on, no surprise there, healthy food. So all day I'm scrolling through, I mean, I'm not scrolling through social media all day, just as a note, <laughs> but as I scroll through social media, when I, when I do do that, I see posts for food and I'll see a, picture that might look really complicated, but then the food blogger will always include the recipe, of course. And so when you look at the recipe for any picture that, you know, you might initially say, wow, that looks really hard to make. When you look at the recipe, it breaks it out into understandable chunks. So this is what we're talking about when we are talking about, you know, kind of breaking things out. So if you've already graduated from your 200 hour training, I don't want you to worry. I'll bet that you've got some gaps in your learning of anatomy. In fact, almost all the teachers I work with are post their 200 hour training. 
realizing all that they did not learn in that initial training and the impact that's having on their teaching today. So it really doesn't matter where you are on your teaching path. This conversation we're about to have is an important one regardless. It only requires or only asks that you be honest with yourself about where you're at and that you do what you need to do to fill in the gaps. Now, why is that? Well, because it will build your confidence, right? Once you know what you're saying, and we're talking, of course, about the cues, is correct, it will build your confidence and will increase your impact as a teacher. You know, going back to the earlier example I gave, being able to have a conversation with a student about why we want the elbows drawn in close to the body in low push-up, what that's actually doing anatomically, that really sticks with someone much more than just hearing the cue. Just hearing the cue without the why is not very effective and it just doesn't translate from class to class to class. We want our cues and of course we're not going to have the ability to give the why for every single one, but there is an art to blending the cue and the why in such a way that it's not overwhelming for students and it really packs a more impactful punch as you're teaching. And this comes of course with understanding anatomy. That is just the foundation that we're working with. So let's begin, let's start to go through um, just kind of this, this template that I'm talking about, because this is really the basis for laying out a roadmap for the study of anatomy. And again, I wanna reinforce, it doesn't matter as you're listening to this, where you are at in your teaching journey. You might have just graduated from a 200-hour training. You might have been teaching for a couple of years or even for more than 10. So let's start with the beginning. So step one is just getting down to basics. And this idea that, you know, anatomy is such a broad subject. So a good first place to start when learning anatomy is to outline the reasons why you want to learn it in the first place. Now, you may be thinking, well, this seems really obvious. I mean, come on, it's a movement practice. Of course we should know anatomy. But I will definitely tell you, I've had a handful of conversations over the years from quote unquote seasoned experienced teachers who have said, I don't really talk to anatomy in my classes. I don't know, I just kind of shake my head at that kind of feedback. And I, I really think that it's critical that we understand anatomy even if our focus is going to be on something else when we teach. So one good example of this is a student that comes in with an injury or a need to modify. When you have an overall understanding of anatomy, this will help you as a teacher provide them with helpful information so they can practice safely. Now, when we look at step two, we're looking at focusing on applying anatomy to yoga. Because listen, we're not using this knowledge to perform surgery. I mean, sometimes I see social media posts with, with comments or, or a content of the post itself or links to articles that go into so much detail, talking about mitochondria and the actin myosin linkage and all of this content that 
you know, I've gone over in my studies as a certified personal trainer and a corrective exercise specialist. I have both of those certifications from NASM, along with all my yoga anatomy experience, as well as my clinical background. So I dive into those articles because it's part, it has been part of my educational and professional career path. And maybe for some of you listening, you have some other parallels as well. Maybe you have a background in medicine or rehabilitation on the clinical side. But for most yoga teachers, they just don't need to know that. And so we have to keep in mind that we're learning anatomy to apply it to yoga. We're not trying to post things as teachers to kind of show off our knowledge and to show how deep we can go into all of the machinate, all of the infrastructure of the body. We want to be able to give people a presentation of this subject that gives them a sense that they can learn it too. Even if they're coming to yoga teaching from a pure business background with no memory of what they learned in maybe high school about biology, right? So one fundamental principle in anatomy, regardless of, professional, of profession, is this idea of anatomical position. Everyone from medical students to yoga teachers should understand this home base of postural shapes. In this position, we stand with our feet at hip width, the hips are level, the palms are facing forward, the head is centered over the body. As teachers, we can assess basic posture in our students from anatomical position, but we can also call back to it as we teach and pull from it key qualities like having the head centered over the body that we'd want to see in other poses too. So this is the idea here in step two, focusing on applying anatomy to yoga. Step three is to look at key parts of the body, not every part right? Is it necessary that you know all 26 bones in the foot, right? No, it's not. You know, you probably just because you're a human <clears throat> have a good understanding of the bones in your foot. You have a heel, you have the ball of the foot, you have five toes, right? You have some joints there. Right out of the gate, now maybe over time, yes, maybe as students come to you with specific questions, that's the catalyst for you doing further research. But in general, one of the most important things, uh, and this in this step three, is to hone in on learning anatomy for yoga versus other professions. So we're focusing on specific things we need to know. And even within these categories, it's necessary to hone in even more on the key aspects within each category. And this will start to make it much more manageable. <clears throat> so I gave you the example of the foot. So let's kind of just look at the hand. Is it necessary you know every bone in the hand? No. <clears throat> Excuse me. So step four, look at the muscles in poses. And I want to kind of just take a, a moment here to acknowledge that all the steps as I'm presenting to as I'm presenting them to you here, they are dependent on the step before. I can't teach you about muscles and poses before I do the step prior. So it's really important, and this is one of the challenges <coughs> that teachers often have, is that they were taught in a very kind of piecemeal way without a lot of logic on the part of the trainer as to how things were being presented. And so the way I'm presenting these steps to you here, it's really important that you go through this process step by step. 
Because now in step four, we're looking at muscles and poses, but in step three, we looked at the muscles themselves. You know, it doesn't really make much sense to look at muscles even on their own until we talk about muscles as, they, as it relates to what do muscles do? What's an agonist? What's an antagonist? What's eccentric contractions? What's concentric contractions? So these kinds of different pieces build us up a certain level of knowledge so that when we now go to looking at muscles in poses, right? So this is really where the rubber meets the road. Now we've really got a good foundation of knowledge that we can use when we tackle this more complex part of the subject. Because let's face it, when we start to look at muscles in isolation, that's one for, for many teachers, myself included, that was always the overwhelming part. Understanding, remembering all the names, the origins and, in, and insertions. Again, I'm reminding you that we're honing in on this for um, yoga teaching. So we're not looking at every single muscle in the body. We're looking at muscles responsible for gross motor movements, movements and poses, but even still honing in like that, we still can have um, a hard time remembering everything. And so once we get to this step four, we're looking at muscles and poses because we've already built a good understanding of the body. And so this is really, again, where the rubber meets the road and we're ready to review muscles as they work in movement. So we'll understand how muscles work, how muscles play different roles. Like I said before, you know, it's the framework for a list that we can use to evaluate each pose and to start to build the basis for anatomically based cues that you can offer, which will be correct because you'll have the necessary anatomy knowledge under your belt. So for example, in Warrior One, for instance, you're using your psoas to flex the hip on the bent knee side, and you're using your gluteus maximus to extend the hip on the straight leg side. So if this sounds like Greek to you, or maybe you have a cursory understanding of anatomy, that's a perfect example of something that should roll off your tongue with little to no effort. So step five is to look for specific ways you can share anatomy with your students without overwhelming them. So just as you don't enjoy the feeling of overwhelm that comes with learning anatomy, students won't appreciate being overwhelmed by tons of anatomy-infused cues. Using anatomy in your teaching should be done to help people understand the actions to take on the mat so that they can create a steady posture. It can also be used to teach them something about the body, like what muscle might be helpful to intentionally contract to stabilize the pose. So one example to weave anatomy in an anatomy lesson into your teaching is to cue to the rectus abdominis, which is the abdominal muscle that can help level the pelvis in lunges. If you find that your students tip the pelvis down, so I'm talking about the front edge of the pelvis, which oddly is called an anterior tilt, in poses like warrior one and crescent lunge, you could cue them to draw the belly button in, which is that common cue in yoga, that Uddiyana Bandha based cue. But then add that doing that contracts the rectus abdominis, a muscle that runs up the middle of the body. And then you might add in a little more detail about how it's gonna keep the pelvis level and keep the lower back from caving in, which is known as the lordotic spine. So you might not add all those pieces, but you'll know those pieces, right? If you followed this process step-by-step step. and you'll at a minimum be able to give the cue of drawing the belly button in and then add the piece about the rectus abdominis. 
So here you're giving them some information that they probably don't know, and you're making it understandable, not overwhelming, and you're giving it to them in this kind of package of cue and anatomy so that they'll really get it and do it in a more consistent way from practice to practice. So step six is help your students with your newfound anatomy knowledge. So as we're going through this process, now we're at this point where we've built this really solid baseline of understanding. We've got into uh, the prior step where we looked at muscles, what they do, and muscles and poses. And now we're at the point where we can start to get into action, right? Putting all this into action, helping your students with your newfound anatomy knowledge. So a great reason, one of the many great reasons to learn anatomy is that you can help your students by identifying alignment issues. And these things are sometimes called red flags. So a red flag is something you'd probably want to encourage a student to do differently to prevent possible injury. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that they'll get injured in that particular class, but over time, doing poses incorrectly can create a muscle imbalance, among other things, and it can lead to injury. And it's often these issues that students brush off upon hearing the correction, which is one of the reasons why it's critical you share the reason why. So saying something like, don't let your knee go way past your heel in a lunge without explaining why is not as effective as explaining why. So in this way, you help your students link what you're saying in the cue and any corrective action you suggest with the rationale. I mean, it just makes sense. In this way, they'll be much more likely to remember it in the future and follow your suggestion. And if they're confused, they'll be much more likely to ask you a question after class, which gives you a perfect reason to start a conversation with them. And I promise you, friends, once you get more confident in your understanding of anatomy, you want questions from students. It shows they're listening, it shows they're engaged, it shows they're involved in what's happening on the mat. It shows that they're focused and they're less distracted about everything else going on in their life. And it also shows that they're starting to bring an inquisitive mind to the mat. And this is absolutely what you want to encourage. Questions about the body, questions about what you've cued and how it works in their bodies. Those are great conversations to have. So, you know, just as an aside, in this example above, keeping the knee in line with the heel below it decreases pressure on the knee itself. So as we let the knee slide past the heel, due to the arrangement of the quadriceps with respect to the knee, so all the heads of the quadriceps, the foreheads, all converge on the patellar tendon, which inserts directly onto the kneecap. So as we let the knee slide past the heel, the pull of that tendon against the, um, the bone can increase just pressure and strain on the knee. And we don't really want people to do that. So that's really what's behind that cue. So step seven is identifying other key ways you can share your anatomy knowledge. And I'll just kind of caveat this by saying the opportunities here are endless, but of course, having the knowledge is the key first step. So once you build this knowledge base up, one of the fun and interesting ways you can assist your students is by coming up with ways to help them modify poses that they're not ready to do in their fullest expression. And you will be more confident and able to answer their questions about injury. Now, it's really helpful to have a script you can quickly run through when a student comes to you before class stating they're injured. 
these questions you can use to gather information quickly so you can make a couple of helpful suggestions about how to modify the practice. And these questions will also help you offer suggestions after class for students who are looking for specific pose recommendations, maybe to help them with an area of discomfort in a particular part of the body. So for example, let's say you have a student that complains about wrist pain in downward dog, um, or perhaps they have an underlying wrist issue or condition like carpal tunnel. And, you know, of course, I'll just kind of throw this out there. The first thing to check is if they can withstand any pressure on their hands. And if they can, and, you know, if they're receiving any medical treatment that they have been cleared for practice, a helpful set of actions has to do with using their lower body more to help their upper body's requirements to do all the work. Most students, when they come in a down dog, they think the whole thing depends on their arms. You know, because it's an inversion, if they're not using their core or their legs in the pose, all the weight will fall on their hands. So position them first with the hands a little bit further in than forward. Cue them to engage the rectus abdominis, right? We talked about that before. And have them squeeze a block, literally put a block between the thighs with the small edge facing them when they look back to their legs to engage the adductors. This should help them feel a contraction of these muscles and will take some of the weight out of the hands. You know, they can remove the block, but now they have that sensation, that action sealed into their muscle memory and they can use it and call on it even when the block is not there. So step eight is to leverage your anatomy knowledge to build sequences with anatomy themes. And this is really one of the really fun parts of applying your anatomy knowledge. Now, as a newer teacher, it's important to have one standard sequence you offer all the time. So you can build effective cues around it, not have to worry about what you're teaching, not have to, you know, kind of succumb to that pressure of, oh, I have to keep it interesting by teaching different things from class to class. As a newer teacher teaching less than five years, have maybe one or two standard sequences that you use all the time. So in this way, you're going to be available to manage all the other things that will inevitably come up. Now, as you gain experience, and you learn anatomy and your confidence builds, you can start to build anatomically based sequences that focus on a particular thing. So, you know, just note the time to do this is after you've completed all the above steps. Many teachers try to kind of do them out of order and build complex sequences before they have a good handle on anatomy. And this can be really confusing. If you're unsure of what you're doing, stick with a basic sequence, Cue to action, don't cue to anatomy, and invest time in training so you can learn the anatomy first. So one example that you could bring if you're ready to build anatomically based themes is twisting. You know, this is a great way to strengthen the spine, especially the muscles of the erector spinae as well as the oblique. So that's just one theme that you might focus on. So we're up to step nine. Step nine is to provide clear cues that add in correct anatomical information to bring more impact to your teaching and cut through the confusion. So you'll see, you know, this, this step nine is the cues. We had to go through all the other steps in order to get to this point. We had to build all that knowledge. And when you think about how we're training teachers, we're kind of giving them this cursory presentation of cues, a little bit of anatomy, 
and then we're having them practice teach. You know, in many, many ways, we could really revamp the 200-hour training to just be all of what I'm describing here to get them to the point where after building all this knowledge, you're now learning how to articulate the practice itself. Be that as it may, you know, just this idea of learning anatomy by following these steps, this is what's going to help you build a solid foundation that will assist you in many ways to be a better service to your students. One of the key ways you'll increase your impact as a teacher is to provide better cues that are accurate. The library of cues that are in the yoga industry are often vague at best and many times are incorrect when teachers who don't know anatomy share cues that they heard or cues that they made up, not because they want to misinform, but because they believe them to be true rather than having the cues built on solid knowledge. Once you learn anatomy, in the process I'm describing here, you'll be able to provide accurate cues that are correct. Now, be careful though, you might, and this happens to me, you might just get a few questions after class from students saying, hey, how come you teach it this way when so-and-so teaches it differently? Now, when that comes up, you'll be able to clearly state the why because you'll have the knowledge and can speak effectively to why you offered the cues you did. You don't have to get into anything about the other teacher. You have no idea, you weren't there. This is not a matter of being right wrong. It's a matter of you justifying your approach with the knowledge you have and having it be a complete package. So here's an example. One of the common cues that teachers often use is to quote, drop the shoulder blades when in warrior one. Now, one of the important actions to understand are the movements the scapula make. When the shoulders are flexed, as in warrior one, the scapula, the scapula upwardly rotate. And they, it, they do that, the shoulder blades upwardly rotate so that the humerus can clear the acromion of the scapula. This is necessary to maintain a good connection in the shoulder joint between the head of the uh, humerus into the glenoid fossa. If we cue our students to drop the shoulder blades, when in shoulder flexion, we get in the way of joint congruence. We take the head of the humerus away from the cup of the scapula, the glenoid fossa. And this actually decreases stability of the arm and can also damage your joint. Now, I have to tell you that if all of what I just said is, is just not really clear, this is again, in being honest with yourself, an opportunity for you to recognize that there is a knowledge gap and you need to fill in that gap if you wanna be an effective teacher. Step 10, the last step, is applying your anatomy knowledge to a specific self-care and teaching technique called myofascial release. Now you might be wondering why I added in MFR and a piece on MFR to this. And this is a somewhat new step, even for me within the past couple of years of really diving into understanding fascia and learning about the technique of MFR. You know, a key part of the body, when we go back to step three and we looked at the parts of the body, is fascia. Fascia is the connective tissue under the skin that runs throughout the body. It responds to pressure applied to it through massage, you probably felt that yourself, as well as tools like foam rollers and massage balls, MFR balls. And using these two tools is part of a self-care practice called myofascial release. And the practice is aimed at relaxing receptors and muscles that are overly excited and therefore create increased tone and sometimes even trigger points, these knots in muscles.
If we can learn about MFR, while not maybe necessarily something you'll offer in class because you won't have the, the tools nearby, it is a helpful technique to learn as a teacher. It's often something you can suggest students do to address areas of concern and might even be something you weave into a workshop. So here's an example. The exercise science industry has looked at the population in terms of muscles that generally are tight uh, or those that are usually weak. And I know this from my studies with the National Academy of Sports Medicine and the two uh, certifications I have through that organization. Now, NASM and other fitness industry organizations through their studies um, of just movements of people, the po population of people, they have found that the upper trapezius is generally a tight overactive muscle in many folks. And we see this in poses like Warrior One where students lift their shoulder blades up toward their ears. So using a foam roller or an MFR ball on the upper trap can release the neuromuscular response to a certain extent and relax the muscle somewhat. So practicing yoga can be a bit easier. So again, you know, in an ideal world, I would love to teach classes where I start out offering 10 to 15 minutes of MFR and then proceeding with the practice. This can again, decrease some of that uh, neuromuscular response and help the muscles be a little bit more, uh, I guess you could say malleable, but increase range of motion and allow people to move with greater mobility and less pain. In the absence of that, and I don't really necessarily foresee that happening in the near future, if at all, Knowing about MFR and being able to understand it is a wonderful thing for teachers. And as I mentioned before, I know in my own work, when I get questions after class from students about a particular part of the body that's bothering them, one of the main things I often uh, suggest is that they do some MFR. And I usually have an MFR ball with me and I can show them some techniques on the spot. Okay, so we've gone through the 10 steps. And I don't wanna just leave you with just this conversation. I wanna give you something that really maps out these 10 steps for you clearly. So what I created was a free downloadable PDF guide that lists out all 10 steps. And you know, again, I'm just giving you the steps with a little bit with each one. So it brings each step to life a little bit more. I'm not giving you all the answers but I'm giving you a roadmap. And if you download this PDF guide, you'll be able to begin to get an understanding a little bit more about all of these steps involved and start to, you know, kind of whether it's building your knowledge from uh, a baseline of, of not having a lot of background or whether it's going back and kind of relearning some of what you missed this PDF will give you these 10 steps clearly mapped out. So all you need to do to get the PDF guide is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and right on the homepage, you're gonna see a link to the podcast. And when you go to that page on the website, you'll see episode 23, and you'll be able to, right in the show notes, grab the uh, download itself. And the download is called 10 Steps to Learning Anatomy. So it's really easy. And it's a great thing to print out and just have alongside you. It's also a way to kind of check yourself. If you find yourself, you know, signing up for a workshop or buying an online course or, you know, kind of doing some studying and you're thinking, I wonder if this really applies to the critical pieces I need to know. It's a way to kind of 
kind of check that and really make good decisions about your ongoing learning. You know, it would be wonderful if we could all take all sorts of time off and just study and study and study. Um, but we really need to be, you know, kind of uh, knowledgeable about what are things we're going to invest our time in for learning so that we can get you know, kind of hitting the ground running as soon as possible. And, and in our world, we're talking about being able to provide effective teaching, correct cues, build our confidence, and ultimately make a bigger impact when we step into the studio to teach our classes and our workshops and interact with the student community. So I wanna thank you so, so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening, please leave a comment. I'd love, love to hear from you. And I wanna thank you again for your time. And if you have any questions at any point, just send me an email right off the website, barebonesyoga.com. Thanks so much for listening and namaste.